Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Thursday the 26th of February. Uh, we're late, but we're late for a very good reason, and we'll tell you what that reason is in a minute once we thought of it. Joining me on this edition, assistant editor Steve Withers. He bragged that he killed 12 men, not including Indians and Chinamen. Nice one, Clarkson. <laughs> Games editor Mark Botwright. I done shot that horse. And audio reviewer Edward Selly. No wonder the circuit failed. It says made in Japan. So, um, we are late because we were at the Panasonic European Convention, and we're going to talk about that in a little while, because uh, before that we have uh, some competitions to go through, and Ed, I believe it's your turn to tell us all about it. Oh, goody. Right, okay, Uh, you can win, finishing imminently, is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy on Blu-ray, splendid film. Um, I'm assuming that's the newer one, uh, not the original. It is, isn't it? It's the actual more recent film. All jolly good. Um, and, uh, and 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 most entertaining. Uh, then there's the Babadook, also finishing at the end of the month. Now I haven't the faintest idea what it is. I keep thinking it re- reminiscent of, of of Crash Bandicoot, but I'm assuming it has absolutely nothing to do with that at all. But you can win it anyway, and uh, you should you should definitely try. Uh, Willow, third of March. I haven't watched that since I was about nine, but you know it's, it's all right. Why not go for it? Mad Max Collection. Now nah, it's a bit more like it. Watch Mad Max 1 and Mad Max 2. As I say, just use Thunderdome as a drinks coaster. It's got you covered. And then, um, rather splendidly, this has popped up. I think this is a new one. There are is a competition to win the Sound Magic P30S headphones that I reviewed recently. Um, now, I thought they were pretty damn good value at, uh, at 70 quid. So they are, frankly, unbelievably astonishing value at free. Uh, and if you don't enter that competition, there's something seriously wrong with you. Uh, right, so let's move on and let's go to Bristol, uh, where I believe there was a small sound and vision. Mm-hmm. Now the small vision part and big sound part, Edward. That yeah. Uh, now obviously I need to stress that from my position, I'm not bothered about there being small vision, but I have seen various comments from a number of disappointed parties. Um, Bristol has always been a balancing act, and I don't think there's any point denying that the balance has firmly been on the side of audio for the last i think last half a decade but there are reasons for that i mean it's a dealer driven show and vision is something that's predominantly handled by you know larger retailers who aren't exhibiting there so it it, audio is always going to take a front seat with that in mind i was pretty happy with what I saw, uh, my my I think for me the most positive point of, uh, of of Bristol this year is that there was a lot more interesting product at what I would describe as roughly sensible money. Don't get me wrong, there are still some phenomenally expensive things there, but um, if you've looked at my show report and if you haven't, then what the hell's wrong with you? Um, if you look at the show report, there's plenty of things at what I would describe as you know discretional spending levels, and I think that that. You know, I, that, that's something that has been absent in the last couple of years and I, I think was quite quite positive. Uh, right, so let's talk about vision first of all and then we can move on to all the fabulous things that Ed has seen um, and, and likes audio-wise because I have no doubt there is some quality audio equipment. I think anybody that goes to the, the show expecting it to be heavy on vision side of things, Steve, is, is going to be, well, pretty saddened, especially when well-known companies who have done uh, darkroom demos in the past to show off their kit suddenly turn it into a living room environment, which I, I think has annoyed a couple of people on the forums at least. Yeah, it has, although I think they're probably perhaps missing the point of the uh, the stand this year. You know, yeah, In the past, JVC certainly have always done darkroom demos with the latest range of projectors. Now, obviously, of course, there was no new range at the end of last year, we're still on the previous year's range. So 
that what they'd done instead this year was to create a, sort of a, a fake living room environment to show you that the uh, X500 is bright enough to be used in an environment like that and not just in a dark room. Obviously, if you want to take advantage of the really great blacks in that projector, you need to use it in a really dark room. But it is bright enough to be used in a room with more ambient light, and that's the point they were trying to make. And I think when people started talking about, you know, was it set up correctly, you know, all the demo material and sort of stuff, I mean, that wasn't really the point of that. I mean, that, it, that projector was demoed. Uh, last year with a with a dark room. This year they were just trying to create something a bit different in this sort of year when they don't have a new lineup to show off. And, um, and you know, I think also it gives a chance for people to come and drop in to the stand and chat to the guys and and, and and get more footfall because obviously the thing about demos is you people queue up, they get their ticket, they go in, they do it, they leave. And I think JVC felt they could probably talk to consumers more uh, and you know, visitors to the show more um, if they had it set up that way where people would just pass through every now and then whenever they felt like it. And apparently, according to JVC, that was quite successful. So I can understand why people, some people might, might have been disappointed, but, you know, that was why they did it and makes sense to me. I think generally, though, if you're a Vision fan, yeah, the, the show's become increasingly disappointing over the last few years. I mean, there was a time when you could go and see the new projectors from Sim and Sony would have a projector set up and there'd be JVC and, you know, Epson and Optoma. It, it was always a highlight of the show for me was yeah. uh, Alan Roser's demos. Mm. I mean, the extortionate money. I mean, you're talking... 100. He always started with the same line, didn't he? I was like, you can't yeah. afford this. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> this is what we're showing. Yeah, but, that, but that's what you want to see when you go to a show like that. When you're paying, yeah. like, 10 quid for a ticket, you want to be entertained. You want to see stuff that you wouldn't normally see anywhere else. And and that was always the feeling I took away from the show, especially with Alan Roser's demos and similar demos like that. I mean, I remember big demos from Kef in the past where they had uh, double-stacked CRT projectors. Mm. Yeah, no, it is disappointing. You don't really get that anymore. You know, Sim were only there. Well, Sim weren't there in that aspect. I mean, it was uh, other companies like Anthem and Paradigm who, who were distributed by the same company in the UK as Sim too, and they were showing audio products. Epson had some of their projectors there, um, but very disappointingly did not have the LS10,000 as a projector for anyone to see, which you thought would have been the obvious place. Apparently that's because it isn't going to be stopped by the retailer that actually puts the show on, and that's why it wasn't there. But that's a real disappointment for me. I was hoping I might get a chance to get a look at it at last, and I'm sure a lot of other people going to the show were thinking the same thing. Uh, Optoma had their current lineup, which we'd already reviewed, and nothing particularly new there, unfortunately, although they were obviously pushing a lot of uh, audio products that they've got now. Uh, uh, Sorry, JVC were doing the uh, demo with the X500, and, um, you know, I think that was about it as far as projectors go. There, there really was very, very little in terms of... Um, in fact, the best projector demo, if you like, that I saw was actually um, the Pioneer Atmos demo where they were using an X500 in there, and that looked really good. Uh, but that obviously was more about de- de- demoing Atmos and not just happened to be that they were using an X500. But, um, yeah, if, if it's vision you're after, unfortunately, it really isn't... There isn't much of that at this show anymore. It's predominantly audio. At least, though, if you're an AV fan... Atmos sort of pushed AV back into the fore a bit, and multi-channel was again very evident for the first time. I mean, last year in particular, there was very little of that. Yeah, uh, but you, you got you got speaker, you know, cynical side of me. You got speaker manufacturers looking to shift speakers. Atmos, absolutely, Atmos yeah, is a godsend for them. <laughs> you got you got receiver manufacturers, you know, who finally got something new they can show. Because for the last, let's be honest, for the last five years, there hasn't really been much new in terms of AVRs and. Uh, and suddenly having a new or well, two new formats and then a third one on, on around the corner has at least given them an opportunity to show off their wares again. And, and so yeah. we had uh, Atmos demos from Kef, Onkyo, Yamaha, Pioneer. Yeah, I think, oh, Tannoy, Tannoy. Um, and Tannoy actually did have overhead speakers on, on, on gantries. That was um, Monitor was, Audio, wasn't it? Oh, sorry, not, yes, you're right, Monitor Audio. Yeah, Monitor Audio, who actually had these sort of um, gantries of speakers above, as opposed to the other ones who were all using upward-firing Dolby Atmos speakers. 
But, you know, that at least meant that if you're an AV fan and a multi-channel fan, there was some some new stuff to see. And I'm sure a lot of people haven't experienced Atmos yet. Uh, certainly the home version, it will probably not even the cinema version because there aren't that many Atmos uh, cinemas in the country. And, that, and that's, as like you said, Phil, one of the reasons for going to the show is to see things that perhaps you've never seen before or wouldn't get a chance to see. Uh, and, and that gives it a bit of fun. So I was glad to see that. And um, the KEF demo was good. I think uh, I think they were doing 7.1.4, uh, no, 5.1.4. Yamaha were doing 7.1.4. Um, actually, I think 7.2.4, in fact. And then uh, Pioneer were doing a, f- uh, a 5.2.4. And Monitor Audio had a, a 5.2.2 set up as did onkyo uh, and they, you know obviously most of the demo discs were either transformers or teenage mutant ninja turtles so not the greatest of films um but uh i think people were generally impressed uh certainly whilst there's lots of debate about the validity of the upward firing speed because they do create a sensation of sound coming from above you and in the case of the monitor audio there was genuinely sound coming from above you um and i think you know for people that hadn't seen it before had a chance to experience it that was good i felt that there were more exhibits where something approaching real world were, was being attempted. And it, I, I think when it comes down to it, you have to bear in mind that um, the show is being, is, is being done with a view to you then splashing your actual money in a physical premises uh, or indeed at the show. So it's great if you turn up with something which costs as much as a Porsche Boxster, but it's unlikely that having done so, you are going to achieve much directly as a result of that. And the halo effect, we know it exists, but <laughs> you don't. it's not something that you can really quantify or, or sort of expect great things from. So I, I, I think the show is ultimately pragmatic. And as a result of that, uh, I, I, you know, that you, what you see is what you get. And I, I mean, to be honest, I, I thought it was quite a good spread of stuff, but that's because I guess I'm, I'm much more of a two channel person than a multi channel person. Yeah. I mean, in terms of mood of the show, um, obviously there was a real feel good factor coming off the back of CES, Steve. Was that momentum there at Bristol? I think so. Yeah. I think it was, uh, it was, it looked like the show was pretty busy compared to a couple of previous years where I think it had been a bit quiet. Um, I think there was a bit of excitement and, um, you know, a bit more bit more energy to, to it than I'd seen in previous years. And I think that's probably because in general, I think the economy is on the up a bit. And certainly um, the sea industry seems to be up a lot more this year, I guess because there, there is more coming in terms of new product uh, and new technologies. Uh, and certainly that, that was reflected in the show, in my opinion. Do you think that, Ed? Yeah, I, I felt that manufacturers are reasonably confident that, that, that good product is finding homes and it must be said that there was a reasonable selection of good product you know to, to sort of fuel that fuel that demand um you know customers are consumers they're more they're far more likely to do significant research before they step into a store and they do have much higher aspirations of what sensibly priced equipment should be built like look like and actually do but more often than not manufacturers are are delivering on that surprisingly well and you know, at the end of the day, God, I sound like a footballer, a football pundit at the end of the day. When it comes down to it, there is, you know, stereo has, has sort of come in from the cold a bit. And, you know, I, I think it was sort of a, a tribute to that, that there were products that were different shapes, different functions, but ultimately celebrating stereo. And there were lots of them. And I think that that's 
than many guards what's finding homes, not speakers in the ceiling. Yeah, I think speakers in the ceiling is uh, never going to achieve mass market appeal for the obvious reason. Um, so it very much comes down to how effective the Dolby Atmos speakers are as to whether that particular format is going to uh, gain any traction. And, and if anybody is actually interested, because quite a few comments were, yeah, it was all right, but I wouldn't have buy it. Uh, and we can only go in the comments, it's on the forums, but that was certainly the feeling I got was, yeah, it was okay, but it was nothing outstanding or, or I wouldn't have buy it. There needs to be a really significant tranche of films. As yeah, well. I, I, I mean the, it's it's a cold, cold hard realization. I mean, obviously, Expendables, even in its reduced certificate status, that it is an Expendables three, you can't easily use that as a demonstration at a public show. So that places heavy reliance on Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which just serves to remind you that at the moment Atmos is being used as a filler to get a, a particular group of people to buy a disc that otherwise they probably wouldn't bother with because it's nothing to do with the quality of the you film. You cynical man, you. Well, it's, it's it, you know, this is nothing new, but Atmos places it in starkest relief because of just the, the incredibly slow rate at which the releases are coming out. And there's still nothing that has me going, yes, do you know what? It's time, it's time to put the effort in. I know what you're saying. I watched Gravity um, at the weekend on these uh, these speakers that I've got in at the minute from uh, XTZ, and uh, obviously doing a uh, tonality check between all the speakers to make sure that it's you know enveloping and all. Oh, fantastic! I didn't need Atmos for that. The the voices, the sounds, they were all around, and there was a, there felt like a separation in height as well. And when you got a decent setup and a decent speaker system, and it's all plumbed in correctly, do you really need the extra speakers, Steve? No, do you need them? No, of course you don't need them. Uh, I think uh, it's going to come down to the content. I watched uh, a film called John Wick on Sunday, a uh, US disc with Atmos soundtrack. The film doesn't actually open up in the UK until April. But uh, it was a really good film. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Action Pat, Ken Reeves was the star. He was very good in it. And it had, a, 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 I thought, a really good Atmos mix where they used the additional overhead channels um, you know, creatively. Uh, and the problem, I think, is that at the moment there's been a lot of... Um, Sound designers have been using them, you know, because they're there. So let's lob a few sounds above us and this sort of stuff. Whereas what you really want to do is just use it when it's necessary and when it makes sense within the story. And, and then it can be effective. You know, things like helicopter flyers, that sort of stuff, very immersive. But also there was lots of shootouts in enclosed spaces. So there was echoes around you and above you as the gunfire went off. And um, there was a scene where there was a big fight in a, in a, in a disco, a nightclub. Uh, and again, the sound, the sound music was coming from above because in a nightclub, that's where the speakers would be, and that kind of really gave, maybe gave the sensation you were in this club with them. Um, so it can be, I think, when used effectively and creatively, it can be good. Do you need it? No, of course you don't need it. But you know, if you can get away with putting speakers on the ceiling, then why not? Okay, let's move away from uh, AV, uh, the Vision, and Dolby Atmos. Let's leave all that behind. And Ed, what was your highlights of the show in terms of two-channel Exotica um, and mainstream hi-fi? Right, Exotica, tough one. The a, a, a de- actually a dealer had brought, um, which is a curious choice to come to the Bristol show when you are not part of the audio T network, but a dealer I've, I've actually visited in the past, I used up near all the way near Manchester brought down a, an Accuphase and Tannoy system. Accuphase is, if you like, it's proper old school Japanese high end. They're all former Kenwood engineers and all of their stuff is gold. And more often than not, it has wood on the sides and it costs a lot of money, but it's built literally to survive the end of the world. And it was just a proper, big, immersive, meaty sound. 
and yeah, you wouldn't have got a lot of change from sort of 40, 50 grand for that. So probably that counts as my, my, my exotica. Um, the name statement and focal demonstration, that was the same as last year. So it's not necessarily newsworthy, but uh, as I said in the report, name is sort of relaxing a bit because they've now sold a couple of statements. And as a result, they played things like Rage Against the Machine and Kings of Leon, which, you know, gives you a slightly oh. more idea of what it can actually do. Yeah, and, you know, that's, that nice. that's nice to hear because it's always this, it's always handpicked and it's always stuff that you've never heard before. So you've got no point of reference yeah. or is jazz. Absolutely. And um, so they, they, they were relaxing. And uh, as I say in the report, hopefully they'll do Firestarter next year. Um, and then last in terms of expensive, uh, and this one has divided opinion and it hugely it did unfortunately come down to what they were playing at the time. But um, Spender, the uh, British loudspeaker company, had three rooms, two of which had Deviolet amplification slash decoding because they were all one box. And they had the Spender Classics, which literally looked like they fell out of a hole in time from 1974 with this absolutely state-of-the-art um, Deviolet amplifier. And when I um, went in there, they were playing, I think they were playing Jeff Beck's slightly peculiar concept album from a couple of years ago. And it sounded mighty. Seriously, seriously good. I understand that other people since then went back and it was doing, you know, Woman with Guitar, Volume 974, and that just doesn't give the same sort of excitement. But that was that was just a very cool system because it's a, a really nice combination of sort of retro and modern and, and was very cool. Then Back on Earth, insensibly priced. Um, ironic, actually, the, the room that won Sound of the Show, awarded by Clarity, was um, belonged to Henley Designs. And they had... Um, what are, you, what are you laughing at? Sounds of the show by Clarity. So it was crystal clear. Yes. Yes, dear. That was actually the least expensive of the Henley rooms, and that was acoustic energy uh, and, and some project electronics and turntable. And it was all set up on record and CD racks rather than on you know some enormously expensive dedicated rack. And sensible money, and it just sounded fun and engrossing and, and, and really, really entertaining. And... That I, I thought that was you know heartening to see, and it, they weren't the only people doing that. Q Acoustics have got the new three thousand range; they always put on a good demonstration. Um, I, I'm sure that Steve Reichert, if he listens, won't mind me saying that he's uh, been doing this a while uh, and he knows he knows how to get the best out of something. And that that sounded really really very good indeed. New Tannoy Revolutions; they are pretty sensible money, and also sounded mighty decent. They they were they were, they were playing some heavy dub when I went in there and that, that's never a bad thing. Uh, there's always a, a degree of confidence as well when you're doing that in a hotel room. And um, then uh, I suppose the other thing that wasn't playing, but I, I do really, really want to have a go on it. And uh, pricing is unclear, but it's supposed to be cheap for, for the brand. Uh, in the Bowes and Wilkins room on the side is a new Class A 7.1 processor and then there's stereo amp and a five channel amp. So you can either have a 5.1 or you can have stereo stereo amp for the front channels, so on and so forth. Um, it's quite slim. It's not as beautiful as some of the main Class A stuff, but it's still incredibly solidly put together. But it's a stereo optimized product with multi-channel support. And I think actually that could be pretty much the right product at the right time in terms of how these things are going. And I am, I, I have 
left a left a, a, a begging note with uh, Bowers and Wilkins that I, I want to get hold of that as soon as I humanly can. Um, and if so, yeah, we see see if we can turn some copy around because it looked really very promising indeed. Excellent stuff. So anyway, that was the Bristol Sound and Vision Show. Uh, there are three articles currently running on the site. They're all on the homepage. Uh, there is a four-minute video. Uh, go and check that out. It's the whole Bristol show in four minutes, um, which uh, Steve put together uh, walking around the show with a camera and um, some really interesting-looking product in there. I was uh, particularly interested in the um, the cardinal-shaped uh, stand speakers from uh, Wilson Benish. I thought they, uh, they looked... Um, unusual don't know what the seriously like. seriously clever they had a cutaway there and you think oh that's a lot of money for a loudspeaker then you look at just some of the moldings and the castings and how it has to be bolted together and it all starts to that 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 telephone number sort of price tag starts to make a bit more sense <laughs> Um, so yeah we've got the video up there go and check that out uh, there is Ed's uh, report as well so go and check that um, and all the comments and stuff are on there so why not add your comments if you went along to the show uh, if you enjoyed what you saw if you didn't enjoy what you saw um, add that in there as well and um, any preferences to, to what you'd like to see at shows and that kind of thing it's always interesting to read people's thoughts on uh, because everybody has their own point of view and it's always interesting to get the point of view that you never actually thought of and you think yeah that, you make a lot of sense there so uh, add your comments to those threads. Right, uh, before we go to games news, we need to talk about the Panasonic European Convention. It was held uh, Monday, Tuesday, which is why we're recording this Wednesday. You get to hear the podcast on Thursday. And uh, lots of interesting things there. I, I guess the most interesting thing right at the start, Steve, was the fact that uh, Panasonic are now back in the black um, and <laughs> uh, got rid of the plasma in, line. In more, in more ways than one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> got rid of the plasma line, which obviously, you know, they, they had to take the costs of mothballing all that, but now they uh, seem to be uh, turning a profit in terms of TV. Uh, some of the sales numbers seem to be really quite impressive with that. But they also have um, hordes of other technology that they're into, such as hair removal. Um, yeah, yeah, they were referring to obviously as grooming products, which I think is a phrase you can't <laughs> use that much these days for obvious reasons. Yeah, uh, but induction hobs and, and kitchen yeah. appliances, and uh, because we're in Frankfurt, seemingly there's a kitchen called a Frankfurt. I never knew that. It shows you how much I know about design, but uh, seemingly that's a big thing. In, ki- in the kitchen world, uh, so they were making a big thing of that at their uh, at their press conference. Um, so lots of things. I guess we we're going to concentrate on the UHD TVs, uh, UHD TVs that start at forty inches and at five hundred pounds. Um, why would you buy a full HD TV now? It's true. I mean, and I think they they know that because if you looked at the lineup, the majority of TVs are UHD. There's a, there are I think there were three uh, series that were full HD, but they were really aimed at. I mean, as they said themselves, these are kind of aimed at second rooms, you know, maybe for a bedroom or you know for a study or for a dining room, whatever. But you know, they're not. They, they you know, if you're buying a new TV right now, you might you might as well buy a UHD TV because there's not much of a price differential anymore. Um, and, and it's definitely a move towards bigger screen sizes. So if you're looking for a bigger screen size, then then you'd want uh, then a, a UHD TV. Obviously, if you buy a smaller screen size, thirty-two inch something like that, then um, then uh, then you might want a full HD. But when you can pick up a forty-inch UHD for five hundred quid, you got to say, you know, really, why would you buy a, a full HD anymore? I mean, I'm not saying there aren't people out there who just I'm not interested in UHD. I don't see a difference and blah blah blah. But personally, I think you know by next year you'll be hard put to find a, a full HD TV on sale anywhere. What's the what's the scaling like on UHD sets for just kind of full HD material? Very good. I mean, it depends on the manufacturer. It can vary, obviously. But certainly the ones we've reviewed and from the big names have had excellent scaling. And, and you can put on a Blu-ray 
you know, or a good quality source, good quality HD, full HD source, and, and you'll be surprised at how good that'll look on uh, a full on a UHD TV. Because if you think about it, they've got more pixels to play with, so they can make you. You, know, you can look some things and think like that. Almost looks, uh, you know, you almost fool yourself thinking it's full. It's it's 4K sometimes if it's done really well from a it's, really good it's, source. It's hard to do it badly, Mark. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. it's, it's a lot no, simpler. There are. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot simpler though than than five seven six up to ten eighty. It's yeah. it's a lot easier to do. Um, I was going to say because that that's the kind of thing that the arguments that were put around with regards HD ready sets and full HD and the like when people were yeah, just it, watching. Yeah, it was more difficult to to upscale that those kind of resolutions when you're talking HD to to four K. Um, I mean, we're saying four K. What we should be saying is ultra HD because it's not actually four K. Um, then it's a lot easier to do. And and it's the right ratio as well. So there's you know you're not playing about with different aspect ratios and stuff as well. None of the the legacy stuff is going to get in the way. So like I say, it's harder to do it bad than it is to do it correctly. Yeah, as long as they're not applying a shed load of sharpening to the image and that sort of stuff. And gonna, some of them do. <laughs> yeah, some of them do. But generally, you can turn this sort of stuff off or turn it down. Yeah. But it on the whole, you'll be amazed at how good it can look on a 4K panel. And obviously, the other advantage is that when I mean I mean. What surprised, I think, the manufacturers and definitely surprised the broadcasters is the speed of take-up of, of 4K TVs or UHD TVs um, over the last two years to the point now where I think we're going to start seeing 4K content, UHD content, becoming available a lot quicker perhaps than we'd originally considered. So in terms yeah. of, obviously, yeah. we've got streaming already, Netflix, you've got Amazon Prime coming online, you've got YouTube, uh, we're going to get broadcasting soon, and then we've got um, UHD BD at the end of the year. So we're, we're going to have a lot of uh, a lot more UHD content by the end of this year than we possibly thought we would have had a year ago. A lot of um, rumours out there as well at the minute, Steve, with um, with BT announcing that they're going to do 4K football. Yeah. Um, wouldn't surprise me if Sky try and uh, get ahead of that. And for them to get ahead of that, you'd be looking for something around about April, May, which yeah, seems to be the rumour. So, yeah, uh, I would be very unsurprised if it wasn't uh, ultra HD capable. And the BBC also have started talking about UHD, and they wouldn't even have considered it but for the number of TVs that are being sold now. It's reached a point, a, sort of such a, you know, a tipping point where now they can discuss publicly the idea of UHD broadcasts, which I don't think would have been allowed, you know, would have been even conceivable a year ago. Yeah, I mean, another big thing that, that a big talking point certainly amongst us out there was uh, the price of these TVs. Um, obviously, you're looking at 500 quid for a 40-inch 4K. A lot of people are going to say, well, why would you want a 40-inch 4K TV? Um there's lots of arguments there, but if it's 500 quid and uh, there's an equivalent full HD sitting next to it, I think Joe Public's going to see the bigger number and buy that one, you know, without having it explained to them. Um, but at the other end of the scale, Steve, we were looking at the uh, the CX800, which is going to be their flagship TV for the year, um, has all the new tech on board, including HDR. And that was coming in at about three and a half thousand to four thousand yeah. pounds. And then we look at the flagship model from Samsung which you have in at the moment, you've got the pre-production in for a review at the moment, and that's going to be £6,000. Um, my first thing is, why would you pay that for an LED, LCD TV? Well, um, if you're looking at it from the perspective of Samsung, I, I guess they're going to say it's our flagship TV, it's a 65-inch you know, S for whatever that stands for, UHD TV. Their argument will be it's future-proof. You know, it, it does uh, wider color space with 92% of DCI. It's got 10-bit video and it's got uh, HDR. It also, um, it's got the One Connect box, which you can swap out if you need to increase processing or change something very easily. And they're saying this is, you know, this is the top-of-the-line television that will last you the next five years and, and manage to stay keep pace with 
broadcasting and um, UHD, BD and whatever else comes along. So I, I guess that's it. I, I don't think so it will stay I, that price of how very did long. They, how did they get on with um, with the upgrader packs? Because they were doing this upgrader thing, but then they've gone completely silent on that. So what happened with that? They have been doing them, but I, they kind of, I think this, it's gone more, well, I suppose... Some of the stuff, I don't think the new format, the new platform can be upgraded easily, can it, um, Tizen? Because I think it's not just a question of adding... Um, so, so I mean, they're saying, uh, uh, you know, I'm, but, just, play, I'm but, just playing devil's advocate here, but they, they are saying, oh, this TV will last you five years. Well, they said that about no. the, the one with the upgrading packs, and you've what, had, what, two models over yeah, two years? Yeah, but the thing about then, the upgrading pack was that was just something you slotted in the back, so that can added a bit more processing or whatever. You couldn't change all the inputs, that sort of stuff. With the one connect box, you can swap the whole box out and change all the inputs... You know, you can go from HDMI 2.0 to HDMI 2.2, or whatever comes along, uh, and, in change, and change processing. And this has got octa-core processing too, so it's pretty powerful. I know they've had to put a fairly low, large amount of cooling into this, this one connect box now. It makes a lot of noise, which it didn't used to. Well, it didn't used to have cooling before, and it got pretty hot. Now they've obviously had to put in some fans because it's got so much processing power in it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it will stay at six grand for very long because, yeah, uh, you know, it's a price point that sounds suspiciously like it's it's similar to the price point that LG have been talking about for uh, a 65-inch 4K OLED. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what happens with that as well. Uh, but certainly, uh, if you talk to Panasonic, they'll, they'll admit they'll admit that last year they were late to market a lot of their range, which is, I think, a fair point. Certainly, the AX902 came to market way, way too late in September. He had missed the boat totally by that point. And by their own admission, it was way too expensive. And they obviously don't want to make that mistake twice. So this year, they're going to get them out a lot quicker, and they're going to be at a more competitive price point. Uh, and also, and you mentioned them being back in the black, the other bit of black they're back into now is VA panels. Total lineup in the UK is all VA. Um, so you're talking about much better native blacks on their TVs now than they were last year, which I think a lot of people complain about, particularly on the AX902. I've got to say, because it will be raised and it will be a question, what is it like off axis? Not too bad, actually. For a VA panel, I thought they were... None you of, can none... immediately tell they were using VA panels. Oh, well, you could tell it was a VA off-axis. panel, but, but off-axis, it wasn't that horrible purple no. uh, faded out but quickly. On it axis, was, yeah, really good. they look bloody good. And particularly the, the AX, the CX802, which is um, the one that's got a full full direct um, LED backlight with the local dimming and, and the VA panel, I thought that looked very good. I'm very impressed with that. Yep. Go on to the we're in a brightly lit showroom. So we can't necessarily tell us like like at night in the dark, but certainly uh, my first impressions were very positive on that TV. It looked it looked very good. Um, as you mentioned, HDR um, compatible. Exactly what kind of HDR? That's another question. Uh, I know it's five hundred nits. Um, the demo they were doing in a separate area was a prototype that's a thousand nits. Um, HDR still yet to officially be ratified, although they claimed it was compatible. But um, uh, I think. I guess as what, as what they were goes. saying, because it basically they're caught in the middle here, because it could go one or two ways. Um, what they're saying is they will support whichever one uh, is standardised. And and if that means a software update, then they will do a yeah. software update. Yeah. Um, so that's what they were saying about that. And nobody else can 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 second guess this at the minute because it's still up in the air. So I, I kind of feel sorry for Samsung and everybody else bringing out TVs, Panasonic and so on, because... We don't know what you know. There's four. There were four systems up for ratification this, from the UHD alliance. It's now down to three. Yeah, Technicolor, um, Dol- uh, Dolby Vision, and Philips. Yeah, um, and we still don't know which which one, or if there's all three are going to happen, or or whatever. And I, I guess it comes down to the age-old argument, Steve. You know, if they all agreed, if they all just forgot about the license fees just for a minute, and agreed and ratified a standard, they'll probably all make 
a nice sum of money through selling this tech yeah. rather than having all these competing, uh, well, what they pot- don't want potentially do, competing systems. And what they currently are doing is confusing the consumer. Because you've started off with, you've got, as you know, we said earlier on this, in this never podcast. Mind, you know, never mind the bloody consumer, it's confusing me. Yeah. But yeah, you, you mentioned about, you know, it's not 4K, it's UHD. And absolutely right, 4K would be really a cinema standard. And, and UHD is, is, is the name that's been given to the standards being used for TVs and, and, and domestic displays. However, you've got, um, for example, um, Money manufacturers are using UHD or Ultra HD. Then you've got along comes Samsung with their SUHD, which is going to confuse people. You've got Sony who absolutely refuse to use the term UHD and refer to everything as 4K. And then you've got people like um, Panasonic who are kind of hedging their bets and they had UHD 4K on everything. So that's already confusing consumer. Before we've even got on to HDR or 10-bit video or DCI kind of space or Rec 2020 or whatever else ends up getting used. Um, and, and that's the problem. You've got, you've got confused consumers. You've got things that might be out of date sooner than they think or might not be compatible, whichever form it becomes popular. I wish they would just sit down, agree everything now, and then move on from there. And, and the fact that they seem capable of doing that sometimes uh, just staggers belief. You know, you think, well, how, how dumb are they? When they do do it, it works out really well for them, a la DVD. So, yeah, it would, it would be good if, you know, if they could all agree on something up front rather than, than confuse consumers and change standards halfway through and agree stuff later and make certain TVs out of date and before you've even had a chance to really get to use them. But I guess that's the way it goes. Um, I mean, the, the latest UHD Alliance thing, there was a list and it appeared to be that most of the major manufacturers are now on board with that and most of the studios are as well. It just seems to be Dolby that are hanging on to their system, which you can, you can fully appreciate because they get a license fee out of it. Uh, Technicolor want to do their thing, again, for a license fee. And uh, Philips want to do their propriety thing. I guess what they need to do is they need to approach these three and say, right, forget about the license fee. Let's come up with something that works. That would yeah. be the easiest way of doing it. Yeah, well, it would It would be. You think that would be the way to go. But um, I guess we'll find out. I mean, maybe it's possible that all three can be incompatible in some way and, and therefore they don't necessarily have to choose one or the other and the TVs can work with all of them, possibly. Assuming they've got enough brightness to start with, or they just, it's in the metadata and they can just adjust accordingly. You know, maybe there's another way around it. But I, th- I think what's important is that manufacturers have realised that just adding pixels to the, the displays isn't enough. They need to add better pixels, I think, as Panasonic was saying. Not just more pixels, but better pixels. Yeah, it was so, also encouraging. Uh, one of the videos that they ran was um, about the, the engineers and uh, the creator's intent, which which was really quite an interesting thing. It was looked behind the scenes. At, uh, it might even be on YouTube. Uh, or We'll do a look if it is. We'll, we'll add it to this podcast about uh, basically how they they go about assessing picture quality and that it's all about picture quality and that the interesting thing here steve i don't know if you picked up on it or not but i certainly did straight away was the panel is a canvas and it's what mm. we add on top of that canvas that makes the picture quality so what they're saying is they're buying in the panels <laughs> yeah. from elsewhere but it's their electronics at the back of it and it's their uh, software and so on that's that's making the picture and they intend to make the picture as close to the uh, creator's intent. I'm I'm trying to get the the wording correct here, is it? Because it wasn't director's intent; it was creator's intent. That's what they're aiming for. And they were adding in uh, quite a bit of technology there. There's a new CMS system that's going to be on the TVs this year. It was uh, lookup tables, so better lookup tables. I didn't see if 1886 was on there. Did you? I wasn't. No, I wasn't sure I didn't, if it was there. didn't see that actually. Um, they obviously had the wide color phosphor which gives you 98% of DCI colour space. Well, that, see, that was interesting technology, but again, something which they were not going into in any sort of great detail as to how it actually, you know, how they're actually implementing it. But interesting that they're using phosphors. Um, yeah. 
uh, to get the wider color and 98 percent of dci well that that ha that's hands down better than anybody else is doing with quantum dot quantum so. dot's 92 percent. so yes it is um you know and and that's great news because it means that um when they do finally get their acts together and, and start agreeing some standards for this for uhd you know if if dci is the color space that's used and i suspect it will be because it's easier for the studios and it's cheaper obviously um, that means we'll be getting, you know, DCI 10-bit video. We're going to be getting effectively uh, at home pretty much what we're going to be seeing at the cinema, which is, I guess, the dream of any uh, home cinema enthusiast or, you know, movie fan at home. Um, and and the question then becomes, you know, when you've got the wider color space, the, the higher bit rate, um, you've got the, you know, increased resolution. Do you need HDR? Is that just is that just throwing thrown in as something another sort of, you know well, uh, sort of enticement to consumers? But do we need it? Because certainly the demos we saw. What do you think? Yeah, it's crushing the blacks for a start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, completely, and that's been every HDR demo that I've seen, bar the one that Samsung did, where uh, the TVs were actually calibrated by uh, an outside source. They weren't calibrated by Samsung at that demo at CES, and, um, and, and they were showing a proper film clip. Showing well. a proper film clip with which had been uh, obviously done for them so they could show off the HDR. It looked stunning, but that's everything else that I've seen HDR-wise, that's Dolby Vision, uh, that's the clips that were being shown at the Panasonic convention, stuff that uh, other stuff that we've seen at, so at CES, it definitely clipping the black level. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, and some of it was just over bright. I mean, when that Netflix logo came on... Um, yeah, it comes to was, a white screen. Oh, it's Jesus, blinding. that was blinding. I mean, the idea is that it's meant to highlight little bits in the picture, isn't it? Not be a exactly. It's it's the highlights in the image and and obviously the lower end of the image. That's where HDR can really make a difference. It can pull the shadow detail out, and you can pull the details out of the brightest uh, areas of the image. It's not intended to be super bright in, in no. terms of uh, burn your retinas. And and that Netflix logo when it popped up. It, <laughs> I'll give you a clue of how bright some of these new TVs are going to be. Um, I've got, you know, as you said, I've got the Samsung in right now. That's got a scale that goes from zero to 20 in terms of um, its backlight panel brightness, backlight brightness. And um, uh, I've got it at four and it's still pretty bright. You're not selling these to me. I mean, I've, I've, just, sat here, I've well, just sat here on mute. I confess I'm actually looking at a very smart vintage Porsche, which is going up for auction a bit later on. Um, nice I need to, to win see you paying attention, first. But, um, but none, of, none of this has me reaching for my wallet. Well, you see, this is where I was going to wrap up on this because we really, uh, we're really well over time. We need to get to games news and movie news. But uh, this was the final question that I was going to ask Steve and, and I'll ask you guys as well. Um, at this exact moment in time, if your TV went bang, would you buy a new TV at the minute? And would you buy one of these new mid to high range HDR jobbies? I'm the wrong person to ask because um, uh, I'd probably beg a television on someone <laughs> until such time as this matter resolved itself. Uh, I'd, I'd defer, I'd, I'd, I'd use uh, reviewers' privilege to defer this decision just now. Yeah, well, I mean, I have stood by that my 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 claim, however ridiculous it may wind up being, I do not want to replace a plasma television with an LCD television, however clever that might be. So I'm just determined to wait a bit longer see what we've got and see where we are mm -hmm. if that meant wandering onto a classified and buying a stopgap that would possibly be where i'd have to go if i wasn't exercising reviewers privilege and just stealing a television <laughs> yeah well i mean i'm going to ask steve that you know steve swaps his tv every couple of weeks when he get once the new tvs start coming in so it's probably not relevant but if you're going to replace the kudo steve would you at this moment in time if I didn't have to, if it didn't go belly up and I absolutely had to get a new TV in, no, I wouldn't. I would definitely wait. I think uh, 
I think there's too much uncertainty at the moment. I want them to get the standards all agree, get us TVs all, all you know hitting those standards, you know, and guaranteeing a degree of performance that's, that's got you know four or five years of life in it. And also, you know, I, I would wait for another reason. And you were with me. We were looking at the um, Panasonic's prototype 4K OLED, and I'm thinking that looks absolutely gorgeous. You don't um, need HDR. You don't need HDR. I take a 10-bit video, definitely. You know, you get no banding and that sort of stuff. Um, I take the wider color space so we get what we get in the cinema. Um, you know, the, the increased resolution, excellent. But HDR, no. Just give me a, a deep blacks and a, and a beautiful image and um, I'll be happy. So, yeah, I, I'd almost certainly... I mean, and that applies also, because we're talking about it, AVRs too. Right now, would you buy an AVR at the moment when you've got another format coming out in a couple of weeks' time? Tricky. I mean... I know it's difficult to say if you want to buy something or you need something new. <laughs> yeah, don't sit on the fence. You can't sit on the, no. sit on the fence sometimes. You go, oh, well, you could end up sitting on the fence all the time and never yeah. buy anything. Yeah, exactly. But it, right, this year is definitely a, a year where there's a lot of great stuff coming mm. down the line, but a lot of uncertainty too. Yeah, Mark? Um, I, I'm afraid I would probably try and find some way to stick with, with plasma at the moment. Uh, it, it just feels, it feels too much like a, a weird transitional period, this kind of mix of old new tech um yeah oled's been seen on the horizon and i don't know about anyone else but as soon as someone mentioned mentions curved there, there's something there that kind of it, it's like seeing a, a spoiler on a car that doesn't need it <laughs> which just makes you think you you're almost you're you're reaching too much for a selling point to yeah. differentiate it from what's come before yeah and what you know is going to come soon enough i yeah. when you get those 4k oled screens no one's going to care whether they're curved or not. You're not going to need a fancy stand to differentiate it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that it, you hit the nail on the head there, Mark. It's certainly, um, I, I wouldn't say it's a cynical view. I'd say it's actually probably what is happening, which is that they're trying to get two or three more years out of uh, LED LCD tech because it gives them more time to develop OLED. And let's face it, there's only one company in the game when it comes to OLED at the minute, um, and everybody else is scrambling around... Um, putting a brave face on it, putting smiles on it. Yeah, we've got HDR, this is great, and all the rest of it. But, they, you know, they all want to move on to the next thing. It's just nobody's prepared to drop the money to to put the lines in and, and get this tech. Because we are talking, well, you're talking billions of dollars to set up production lines and tool them and all the rest. I mean, Ed, you, you'll know this better than most of us because you've worked in the industry and that side of things. But, you know, to get a new product line up and running, especially something like... OLED and then especially when nothing has come before along those lines yes. exactly and then you've it's got your yields brutal. and all the rest of it you you have to expect to make some pretty big losses before you start to see any gains and as they're all they all have been in the red for a long time tv divisions nobody wants to take the risk no it's not ideal is it so, so yeah mark i think you hit the nail on the head there that they've got this technology they've got these panels they're not paying a hell of a lot for the technology that they've got in terms of production because the lines exist the tooling exists uh, all they're doing is adding adding on features on top of that um it makes business, perfect business sense to continue with led lcd tvs add hdr in add wider color gamuts um add new processing and all the rest it it just makes sense and um the unfortunate thing is for tv enthusiasts like our members and so on who on a daily basis, I'm talking about when can I see a 4K OLED. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a longer wait, I think. I don't know if you agree, Steve, but that's certainly where I see things. I'm expecting us to have a much better view of what's going to happen by the end of this year. By the time we get to EFA, probably, I'd have thought there'll be uh, specs will be agreed, standards will be agreed, um, probably see UHD BD being launched, or at least uh, specs being announced um, and possibly being launched ready for Christmas. 
and some of the and hopefully some more news in terms of OLED too. Um, so, but yeah, that's what you need to do. We'll wait to the end of this year, and then uh, unless you desperately want to buy a new TV, yeah, yeah, yeah. If your TV goes fill pop, your boots. Yeah. <laughs> your TV goes pop, then you know, go on, there's nothing wrong with a full HD TV at the minute. Um, uh, yeah, we're not saying don't go buy TVs, but if you're looking for the latest in tech, you're looking for the next sort of Kuro ZT65 sort of level of of picture quality. Um, you need to wait. Is what we're saying, yeah. I think. Anyway, let's move on. Games news next. Okay, uh, let's quickly move on to games news. And Valve have been showing off um, hardware at GDC, Mark. Well, uh, that's future tense. They will be. Um, early March will be the Game Developers Conference, which is kind of a mixture of uh, kind of networking thing and a little expo side. Um, Valve have said, and in quotes, Steam Machines uh, with a final Steam controller, um, uh, new living room devices, and a previously unannounced Steam VR hardware system. So it's, it sounds very much like we will see um, some kind of a headset from them because as a company they worked closely with uh, Oculus Rift before the Facebook buyout. Um, obviously you've got Sony with Project Morpheus and um, Microsoft have shown off their Windows HoloLens. So it, you know VR and AR is something that it seems like most companies are now looking at if they're serious about future-proofing. Um, Steam machines, obviously that's kind of what people would assume they mean by new living room devices. It's been a kind of stunted growth for them it's it, we've seen from other manufacturers boxes that broadly speaking fit the remit of being steam machines however when valve release their own it will come with steam os and hopefully that we will be seeing the final controller which is something that's it's gone through so many different revisions and this could be just a, a key reason why we haven't actually got a steam machine thus far which is they want to get this absolutely right because the control pad is you know it's it's the key to everything with regards trying to get that uh pc gaming experience on a on a tv so that you know you've got things like big picture mode they've you've got all the components there everything's basically in line but they've wanted to try and create a controller that can vaguely speaking approximate the keyboard and mouse so, you know, they're using dual track pads rather than analog sticks. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are hoping they don't just simply lump on uh, analog sticks onto this because uh, originally it was it was very kind of high-tech sounding, which was no face buttons. It would kind of replicate buttons through haptic feedback and things like that. Um, it had a, a little color touchscreen, things like this that were kind of superfluous but very cool looking. I think it... it in general, everyday uses, perhaps it's just been a little bit too much tech. Um, people do tend to stick by simple things like face buttons and D-pads. Um, but yeah, very much hopeful that we'll see something that that's well, something that's affordable and looks like it can actually compete with consoles. Because if it falls into the in-between category of not offering enough flexibility for you know the you've dedicated. Uh, gaming PC people who would prefer to just build their own system and you know, choose components that way, then it's not going to be a great rival for consoles. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Steam Machine, it, it's just basically, um, you know, it's it's going to be just a, a games PC. That's it. But All they're right. trying okay. to create something in a smaller form factor, something that you can put underneath your TV. 
Um, and, and that's really it's it's kind of trying to unlock that door, which is you've got it's just a huge market, a huge amount of PC games. You've got things that consoles don't have, which is backwards compatibility with a you know just a, a massive raft of software titles. Um, you also got a community that's going to update games, and so therefore you know whereas people in, in traditional console generations have to keep on skipping over and saying, well, I'll sell the old console. There's no point having that anymore. And then you, you're waiting around a couple of years for a library to build on a new machine. PC gamers don't have that trouble, but it's always been the problem of how can you get people putting the machine under their TV and gaming in that manner. Right. So it, this is like the game's equivalent of a HTPC then? Yeah? Yes, yes. That, that That's basically what they're going for, which is uh, as well having this... Uh, Linux-based Steam OS, so they get rid of having to, you know, pay for, you know, an operating system to someone else. It's trying to free up things so that people can just game in comfort with a a, a more a freer system than consoles offer, but underneath their TVs. Okay, sounds interesting. Uh, we're also um, a week and a half. Uh, past the podcast uh, if people haven't downloaded the games podcast uh, why should they go now and download the current games podcast and listen to it okay um we talked about the windows 10 announcements which obviously we covered on the weekly but we hadn't talked about on the monthly gaming podcast obviously including um the big news about microsoft's hololens we also got into a bit of discussion about evolve um, new asymmetrical multiplayer game. Uh, the review for that is on the site now, and Zelda Majora's Mask. The review for that is on the site as well, and discussing Dying Light and whether really the zombie genre has had its day. Cool. So if you haven't downloaded that yet, on you go. And coming up next is movie news. <laughs> Who's asking the question? Well, you can ask it if you like. Is it what's at the movies? What's at the cinema? All oh, right, Steve. What's at the cinema? Well, Mark. Uh, last week there were four films out: um, The Wedding Ringer, which I've talked about already on the podcast. There was Project Almanac, which is a found footage time travel movie. There was Predestination, which is another uh, time travel thriller, and also Black Hat, which is a new film from Michael Michael Mann about um, sort of cyber hacking, which is quite um, prescient or certainly quite. Um, current given what happened to Sony just before Christmas. Uh, all the reviews for those four films are currently on the site, so if you're interested in going to see those, then go and read the reviews on site. Coming out this week, so on Friday, we've got two new films, one of which is, which is It Follows, which I have not seen yet, but hopefully we'll get a chance to see it at the weekend. And the other film is Focus, which I have seen. This is the new film starring Will Smith. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's his first R-rated movie since doing Bad Boys 2, which I think was over 10 years ago. And uh, it's a film about a bunch of comment, basically. Uh, and overall, it's good fun. I enjoyed it. But the thing about con men movies is that you, if you've seen a bunch of con men films over the years, there's, there aren't that many new tricks in the book, really. I mean, they've got a few new things in this film involving tech, so things like, you know, hacking and um, card swiping and this kind of stuff. But most of the cons in them are pretty much old school cons. You know, it's basically people lying, a bit of um, thing, you know, pick, pickpocketing, a bit of um, misdirection uh, and some sort of sting towards the end. And if you've seen The Sting... Uh, one of the things that happens to it at the end is almost a direct lift from the sting. So, you know, there are no new tricks in the book, really. And if you've seen a few combat movies, you're going to be ahead of the plot. And for most of the film, I was ahead of the plot. I kind of knew what was going to happen and a rough idea where they were going and what the comms were. Um, but having said that, I, I enjoyed the film. It's funny in places. Uh, it's very exotic. It's shot in New York and in New Orleans and in Buenos Aires. It looks gorgeous. 
Will Smith is on particularly charming form. Uh, you know, I think he is a, you know, not necessarily the greatest actor, but he's a decent actor. He's a very charming, charismatic personality, and the film definitely relies on that a lot. Um, and also, Michael Robbie's in it, who was the wife of um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in The Wolf of Wall Street. And again, she's extremely easy on the eye, uh, and um, uh, you know, and is quite alluring in this film. So. Uh, on the whole, it's got a charming, charming lead, uh, attractive uh, female lead. Uh, it's got a, a fun plot that's got a few twists and turns out there. You can probably see them coming. Uh, it's got some decent laughs. It looks great. And it's, a, you know, it's an easy way to spend an hour and a half in the cinema. I think I gave it a seven out of ten. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's nothing. There's nothing in it that's new, frankly, but uh, it's certainly packaged in an attractive, um, you know, attractive box. Was, was that a, a charming seven out of ten? That was a very charmed seven out of ten. <laughs> and uh, Bad Boys 2 was uh, 2003. So 12 years ago. Done a bit of swearing in a movie. Uh, I mean, there was a time when, when um, Will Smith was the most, most bankable star in Hollywood. You could open a film on Will Smith's name, definitely. But over the last few years, his, um, you know, his star's been a bit, a bit yeah, tarnished. Yeah, he's had a, he's had a like few stinkers. Yeah, yeah. He's had a few bombs. Yeah. And so th- I think this is a bit of a return to form for him in terms of, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good, solid, entertaining film where he's you know, at his most charming. So, and I think it'll probably do well at the box office uh, on that basis. Um, but, you know, and, and certainly, uh, you know, if you fancy going to see him this weekend, that would probably be my recommendation. I haven't seen it follows yet, but I've heard that it's a very scary, very good horror movie. Are you going to see it? I'm hoping to see it. Yeah, if, I could, if it's on the local cinema. Would, would you go and yeah. see it, Mark? You know what? I watched the U- the YouTube trailer of it and... Mildly scary, but one of the few occasions where YouTube comments are actually worth it. <laughs> just for the per- person who posits the question about what it follows is, and they just ask, is it an STD? <laughs> well, yeah, it is a bit like that in the trailer, isn't it? Uh, I think it's got an awful title, but uh, from, the rev- you know, from the reviews I've yeah, seen... Yeah, the first question was, is it a fart? <laughs> There's no middle ground with YouTube comments, though. There are either- uh, no. They're either literally the most banal thing ever, ever comprised with a keyboard, or they're just utterly magnificent. Some time ago, I was watching a, I was watching a, uh, a YouTube, uh, I think it was an, a, a how-to, it was a recipe, and the, the top comment is, like, if you're, post, if you're viewing this in the re- reign of King Ramses III in 3600 <laughs> BC, and I just love the sheer surrealism. Right. Um, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. Uh, Blu-rays out next week. Uh, very quickly, Steve. Yeah, next week we've got Pride, uh, which I saw at the cinema. It's excellent. It's about a group of gay lesbians who try to raise money for striking miners back in the Is it in Dolby Atmos? No, definitely not. Uh, it's a super <laughs> film, though. Uh, very funny. Really enjoyed it. Uh, very moving. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend you do. Mr. Turner, which is the film about um, the painter, obviously. Um, is, is that in Dolby Atmos? No. <laughs> uh, again, I have not seen that. I do fancy seeing it. Uh, it looks very good. Uh, got snubbed a bit at the Oscars, but never mind. Uh, Nightcrawler also got snubbed at the Oscars. Jake Gyllenhaal's absolutely superb in it. Brilliant performance from him. Didn't even get a nomination. Very upset about that. But is no it Dolby Atmos? No, no Dolby <laughs> Atmos. Uh, but a really good, really good film. Again, strongly recommend you see that if you get a chance. And finally, The Judge, which I have not seen. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and... Um, uh, Dolby Atmos Robert Duval <laughs> Robert Downey Jr Robert Duval no <laughs> Robert Duval as his dad who's a judge um, who's being I think um, being charged with murder or something like that, and Robert Downey has to, has to defend him um, I haven't seen that it looks okay the, the, um, Kaz saw that and is doing the review of the Blu-ray as well I think but um, so it's another what, great uh, week for people who have stuck to you if you've got speakers on your ceiling <laughs> next week is not great however 
in two weeks' time, uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 comes out on Blu-ray, and that does have a Dolby Atmos soundtrack. So. There you go. Right. If you're not interested in the Oscars and stuff, and like they say in the news when the football results come up, if you don't want to know the results, blah, 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 uh, leave the room now. I don't want to know the results, <laughs> but you're saving it for like, next year. I've taped it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's one of these things that split the audience straight down the middle whether people are interested in the Oscars or not I know I'm, I, just, I couldn't care less basically me but Steve you, you are interested so who are the quickly winners and losers well the big winner obviously was Birdman which won Best Film and Best Director along with Best Cinematography and Best Original Screenplay so four wins for, for Birdman uh, the big loser therefore by definition was Boyhood which had for a long time been the front runner um for best film and best director didn't get either um it only picked up one award in the end which was best supporting actress for um patricia not, not yeah patricia Arquette. um 12 years which, 12 years work so, for that eh 12 yeah, years 12, year, 12, 12 years, years. Slave to get <laughs> nothing what well, well, that's terrible um yeah I, I i think uh personally i haven't seen birdman so i really can't comment on whether it deserved to win or not. I certainly, I thought Boyhood was great uh, and I thought it was a bit robbed. I think a lot of people, a lot of critics felt the same way. But um, but Birdman certainly does sound interesting in terms of it, the way it was shot as a single continuous take, um, the entire film. You know, it's, it's certainly flashy. It's a film about acting with some flashy acting in it. And since the majority of the Academy are old, white, middle-aged, or old, actually not even middle-aged, old, white, male actors, that tends to be what gets uh, gets the gets the win in the end, and that's evidenced by the fact that Selma, the first film ever made about Martin Luther King, didn't get got hardly any nominations. Um, certainly didn't get any nominations in the acting category. Uh, didn't nominate for best film, didn't win obviously, uh, and it did win one Oscar for best song. Now that's a snub for Selma, if you want my opinion. Worse than that, it's a snub for the Lego Movie, which should have won best song for um, Everything Is Awesome. <laughs> And didn't even get nominated as best uh, animated movie. Yeah, but sound, ha, soundtrack best. and song has a long and distinguished history of being nominated and judged by people who are clearly deaf. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be. I, I don't think I'm being remotely contentious there. Every single year, I hear soundtracks in films, and I think that is a mag that either breaks new ground. Or it's very, cl- it, it's it's just a sensational piece of, of of composition, and it doesn't even get nominated. And what wins is normally just utterly indifferent. See, this is my home problem with the Academy Awards. I mean, it is not relevant to today's audience and what people are expecting. It's it's completely irrelevant now, um, and doesn't mean anything to me. And and I, no, I know I'm not alone in that point of view because I see it more and more and more that people are just getting disillusioned by. Um, and certainly this year, I mean, there was the whole uproar, um, you know, with with the fact that there was hardly any, well, there wasn't any black actors. Or no, I mean, given or, that there was some great performances this year, I mean, particularly David Elwayo, um playing Martin Luther King, um, to, to not even get a nomination was pretty pretty shocking. Yeah. Frankly, um, I mean, just to just get, I mean, oh, I mean, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Lego Movie again because I'm gonna say, you know, they they can nominate up to ten films, and they nominated eight this year. Lego Movie, in my opinion, since they couldn't nominate it as an animated film because it was live action towards the end of the film, uh, should have been nominated for Best Film. Because I think it is genuinely a masterpiece uh, in terms of, you know, what you think is going to be a big, long advert for Lego actually is a sort of like, satirical, subversive film, anti-capitalist statement, uh, I think, and, and also really funny and great fun. But uh, so Big Losers, Boyhood, 
and Lego La- Lego Movie and um, Selma. Big winner, obviously, Birdman. Big winner, again, Grand Budapest Hotel won heavily in terms of um, production design, costume, that sort of stuff, which I thoroughly deserved, actually, because it was a gorgeous-looking movie, as a lot of um, Wes Anderson's movies are. In the actor categories, uh, everything went as expected. Eddie Redmayne picked up uh, Best Actor for playing Stephen Hawking. So, you know, played to say, would you guaranteed an Oscar? Um, Julianne My Moore... Wife. Just as an aside, I don't know what your thoughts on this is, because you've also seen it. My wife feels he should be taken back off him for Jupiter Rising. Yeah, yeah, he and should be. Yeah, he should, <laughs> yeah, he should take, take it back. They should have, not only should be, you can be nominated, but then literally there is a, 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 a if you are then also um, acting something which is truly appalling, that should be counted against you. I think there's quite a few actors who should be giving back Oscars back. I mean, like Halle Berry has done nothing good since she made Monsters Ball <laughs> and, and really should give it back now in shame. But anyway, uh, Julianne Moore went for Still Alice, playing a woman with Alzheimer's. So again, bit of illness, bit of disability, going to get yourself an Oscar. Um, although, to be honest, in the case of Julianne Moore, uh, she thoroughly deserves it. I mean, just for her body of work. She's, she's, she's been a great actress for a long time. I'm glad you ended yeah. up with Of Work. <laughs> <laughs> so much. <am I. laughs> Best supporting actor, J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Absolutely goddamn right. I mean, he's, he's mesmerising and terrifying in that film in equal measure and thoroughly deserves that Oscar. And again, an actor who's been doing great work for a long time and finally got some recognition, which I think he deserves. And Best Supporting Actress, Patricia Rockett, as I mentioned earlier, for Boyhood. Um, we, I mean, you think about it, it's difficult to maintain a performance over 12 years. So if nothing else, you probably deserve that although you kind of think what about the rest of the cast um and that's 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 about it for the oscars well the rest of the cast lazy if it took them 12 years to finish a film my god yeah slack slackers a lot of them well rich lignator did direct the film slackers so i guess there was a clue in his earlier work (laughs) uh right so total irrelevance out the way then um and I think that's about it for the podcast this week. Uh, so we have been um, very heavy on the, the AV side of things with the Bristol show and then the Panasonic convention. Um, and we've had to uh, rush through the movies and so on. So apologies if, if you listen just for the movies and just for Steve's dulcet tones um, when it comes to... It comes so in other the words, we're apologising to Steve's parents <laughs> and girlfriend, basically. <laughs> and the cat. Oh, no, don't bring the cat into it. That's cruel. Uh, right, so let's wrap it up for this week. So my thanks to Steve Withers. The red logs about to blow. Mark Buttright. What idiot dressed you in that outfit? And Ed Selly. It'll be a spectacular wrap. Too bad no one will be around to see us. Uh, don't forget, we're back to Wednesday next week. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. If you want video, it's avforums.com forward slash video. Uh, if it's reviews, it's abforums.com forward slash reviews. I'm feeling thanks very much for listening. And like I said, we'll see you again next Wednesday. 